Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel. We're the number one global business radio show for entrepreneurs. And today we are broadcasting from the, my beautiful hometown of Los Angeles. It's just gorgeous day. I guess it's about 84 or 85 degrees and beautiful. Now, this program is all about helping entrepreneurs, in fact, everybody in business, to be a little bit more successful. We've been bringing you information great advice and fantastic interviewers with some of the most successful people on the planet for four years now to help you maximize your own success. If you've been watching the news, it's hard to imagine a more clear example of the power of recording on-duty police officers and the video that uh, led to the arrest and charging of North Charleston, South Carolina police officer Michael Slager and he's charged with murder last Tuesday. Now, if it hadn't have been for the footage shot by the witness, Fiedlin Santana, the sole account of the confrontation would have come from the local police department, a version of events we find out later that was considerably different than that shown on the video. Now, some police officers was some police officers will order you to turn off your camera or even attempt to confiscate or destroy your phones. So you need to realise that it is perfectly legal to film police officers while they're on the job, providing you do not physically interfere with their ability to do that job. So if you get yourself into trouble and a cop wants to force ask you to turn off your phone or forces you to... Um, um, give it to them, don't. So in an effort to protect your rights and also protect you know, the overwhelming majority of police who do do the right thing, there's been a plethora of smartphone apps that have popped up in the last couple of months to make it easier for the public to document allegations of police abuse and advise you of your rights and there's a number of these apps that are available right now first thing I like about them is they've all got great names the first is Copwatch it's free it's compatible with iOS platforms and allows for video to be recorded as soon as the app is opened the footage is then automatically uploaded to YouTube so the app's also got a guide outlining outlining your rights when it comes to filming police and an Android um, app is reportedly coming soon. So the moment it starts, it gets uploaded straight to YouTube. So it's out there. Here's another name I love, 5.0. 5 <laughs> is a free Android app created by four siblings from Georgia. The four, I'm a Asher, Caleb and Christian are 16, 15, 14 and 10 respectively. It um, allows its users to rate and review their positive or negative interactions with police officers. 
So FIBO also has a Know Your Rights section as well as community boards that allow you to communicate and plan responses to local trouble. That's not as good as Copwatch, but nevertheless, pretty good. The third great app is called I'm Getting Arrested. <laughs> Why we're producing apps to help bad guys, I'm not really sure. Um, but it's available in 14 languages, and with just one click, the free Android app allows users to send a custom text message to contacts that they've pre-programmed in their phone. So you can have it pre-programmed to friends, family, legal help, anybody, if you get arrested. So you don't have to sit around and wait for your free, your first free phone call. You, The moment you um, click on it, everybody, including your lawyer, knows. And there's another one that's very similar called the panic button. There's a uh, stop and frisk watch, which allows users to film interactions with police just by pressing a trigger on the uh, home screen and users can be alerted when a user in their vicinity is stopped by police. So if somebody else in your area, it's a bit like Waze, isn't it? If any, somebody else in your vicinity is stopped by police, then you instantly know about it. And there's one called SWAT and it allows for live video of uh, police interaction to be streamed to a secure server. Um, so this app will make it easier for people to put in an official complaint and it gets photos, um, current location, time and date stamps, all of that. But um, great ideas. But what I really like, as I said before, is the cool names. Copwatch, 5.0, SWAT, I'm getting arrested. God, it almost makes you want to go and use one. Now, there are tremendous technological advances being made now, and uh, I often bring you up to date on things that I think are interesting, like cell-sized chips that are injected into your bloodstream, and as they circulate through your bloodstream, they look for diseases, and every time they pass onto your watch, um, the chip reports to the watch your health, which then talks to your phone, which then can talk to the physician. But today, let, let's talk about some really pragmatic medical developments, you know, without all the space-age stuff. Now, using state-of-the-art materials like titanium and carbon fibre and new plastics, prosthetic limbs are more durable and they allowed users much more versatility than ever before. So forget about walking and trying to grasp objects. Prosthetic limbs now allow users to run and to throw, and they can all also do it by mind control now. So you don't have to be able to actually do it. You can just think about it, and it will enable the prosthetics to work. Recently, a woman paralyzed from the neck down learned how to control a robotic prosthetic arm with the thoughts and perform several activities of daily living, such as reaching for and grasping items, just like a regular able-bodied person. There's another one where um, a woman paralysed from the neck down has a robotic exoskeleton which enables her to walk and stand. So it allows her to go upstairs or sit down and stand up. Very cool. Other cutting-edge neuroscientific research avenues include using a brain 
computer interface to analyze brain waves and extract personal information and then control whatever it is you want to control. And perhaps the most fantastic surgical procedure imaginable is the idea of transplanting a living human brain into another body. Now, brain transplants are not far-fetched. A team at the University of Pennsylvania has engineered transplantable <laughs> living nerve tissue that could be used to regenerate or reconnect neurons. It's like, kind of like jumper cables for your car. And uh, they're the first step in achieving a complete brain transplant. And numerous other tissue types and organs have been successfully grown in vitro and in vivo. Physicians have successfully transplanted, transplanted a donor windpipe using the recipient, recipients. Jeez, I'm having trouble with my words tonight. I haven't, I haven't had a drink today. That's the problem. Um, using the recipient's stem cells to prevent rejection and encourage tissue integration. And using 3D printer, researchers have successfully generated and regenerated functional rat kidneys. This means a patient's own cells can be used to grow a transplantable kidney on an artificial matrix or to regenerate an unviable donor kidney. Now, we heard about a situation the other day where start a heart operation with somebody who's got a defective heart, start the operation, take the heart out, print an identical but healthy heart on a 3D printer using the patient's own DNA, print it takes about six hours and then take the new printed healthy heart and whack it back in. That has got to be pretty cool. And we all know cyber medicine's here and health-related smartphone applications. There's now tens of thousands of them and they're being increasingly used by both patients and clinicians. But the de developments are just unbelievable. I mean, a live cause got a smartphone electrocardiogram that can record and, and save your heart rhythms just using electrodes on your fingers. That's pretty cool. Dario's developed a pocket-sized glucometer that connects to a smartphone and continuously records and tracks your glucose readings. Now, I'm a diabetic. That's very cool. I mean, it'd be pretty scary. <laughs> Every time you had a cream caramel, it just sort of snuck in. You'd, <laughs> you'd start to worry about it, but it's still very cool. Then, of course, there's um, 3D printing. Scientists from the Netherlands have fitted an 83-year-old woman with an artificial jaw that they printed on a 3D printer. The implant was made of titanium powder, which was fused together using lasers, and the printing involved the use of articulated joints, cavities to promote muscle attachment, and grooves to direct the regrowth of nerves and veins. Printing it, though, just took a few hours, but... She has a perfectly functioning, normal, except it's made out of titanium, jaw. That's very cool. Um, US researchers are using 3D printing of cartilage cells and nanomaterials to create functional ears that receive radio signals. So this demonstrates we're going to be able to use 3D printing to create bionic tissues and organs. 
and I bet you didn't know this, 90% of in-ear hearing aids are now produced on 3D printers. I love 3D printers. I don't know whether you were listening a few weeks ago when I was talking about um, in China where they're building houses with 3D printers and huge 3D printers and they can build a house that um, has everything in it, all the wiring, everything. Um, They can build 10 of them a day with a 3D printer. Hmm. Angelina Jolie recently brought um, public awareness to genomic medicine and now complete genome sequencing provides invaluable genetic insights into over 80 susceptible genes for breast, ovarian, prostate cancers, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, psychosis, and numerous other conditions. So your DNA data will very soon be absolutely pivotal in the day, in your day-to-day care, making sure that you stay healthy. And something that, I don't know whether you saw Face Off, I watched it again on television the other night with Nicolas Cage, but face and limb transplants are becoming more common. In 2011, the first full face transplant was performed in the US, and now it's fairly regular. Hand transplants are becoming more common and are done using donor skin, bone, tendon, muscle and vessels that they can reconnect. And there's a big advantage when you're transplanting hands as opposed to using prosthetic hands is that they have a much more natural appearance, obviously, but they also have a much more natural feel and they can be just as effective. Wow. Okay. If you're not driving, put your hands up if you hate banks. I can look at my little studio window here and see hundreds of millions of people with their hands in the air. People hate banks. They suck. You know, people... I remember when um, automatic tellers first came out. A lot of people won't, but I remember they first came out. People would line up outside a bank at an ATM rather than go into the bank where there was nobody and get instant service. People hate banks. And when you think about banks and you think about a couple of banks, you know, I'm... I'm I've got accounts in several banks, and you sit there and you think, which bank's the least bad? And you don't say, which is the best bank? You say, shit, they all suck. Which one sucks the least? (laughs) Well, according to the Millennial Disruption Index, the industry currently most ripe for disruption is, you guessed it, banking. Millennials particularly hate banks. 73% of this massive generation of customers would prefer to use banking services that came from Google, Amazon, PayPal, Apple or Square rather than from banks. Wouldn't that be good going into work every day and you walk into your big bank and you think, what a great day to work. Every bastard that walks in here is going to hate me. (laughs) Jeez. There's no enthusiasm for banks amongst the world's largest group of consumers at all. 81% of people do their banking online and 49% use their mobile device to interact with banks. But banks can't 
connect with their customers. 50% of banks, sorry, 56% of banks offer mobile deposits, but 74% of of, um, consumers don't use it because they don't like them. Only 49% of people use bill pay. I couldn't live without bill pay personally, but it's not because people are unwilling to enter into financial transactions online. 244 million customers feel comfortable entering their credit card info online to make a purchase at Amazon. 244 million of them. Why don't they do the same with their bank for bill pay? Why? Because they don't like banks and they think that bill pay is risky. You know, I think the main reason is that people just realise that banks really suck. Now, you're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show Worldwide on Voice America Business. We're here to assist entrepreneurs to become successful. So if you have a question about any aspect of business whatsoever, whether it's marketing or strategy or or technology or um, um, financial or taxation or IP or doesn't matter what it is, send me an email to bob at bobpritchard.com and we will answer it on air or we'll email you with an answer directly. And make sure you subscribe to my monthly newsletter, which is being sent out to over 16,000 business executives in over 60 countries this week. Um, It's been going out for about 13 or 14 years. We had a great response to the March newsletter, so um, make sure you get April's. We're also sending out every week a summary of the radio show. So um, if you're on the database, you will get that automatically. And if you decide you don't want to get it, well, send in a um, an unsubscribe. Now, last, I think last week we sent out 16,000 and we got three unsubscribes, I think, which is not bad. Now, I'll be back after the break with my guest, David Gianetto. Now, David is the author of three books, including the newly released Big Social Mobile, how digital initiatives can reshape the enterprise and drive business results. Now, David is a really cool guy, and he's been named a thought leader by the American Management Association, by Business Finance Magazine, and Consumer Goods Technology Magazine. I'll be back with David right after this short break. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com.
You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. And welcome to the segment of the show where we interview successful entrepreneurs, people that are on the cutting edge, people that think outside the box for uh, want of a better expression, and people that have got something to share with all of us, but particularly other entrepreneurs, that can help us all become more successful. You know, it's bloody hard to be successful. You know, it's a tough road, and uh, if you're an entrepreneur and you're trying to break a new product or trying to break a new service, then it's really difficult. And uh, so what I try to do in these interviews is to find out what makes successful people tick so that we can all learn from the mistakes that they've made and we can also learn from the successes that they've had. Every one of us can learn from the experiences of successful people and that's why I urge all of you, no matter what business you're in, get yourself some mentors. You know, if you're a business person and you don't surround yourself with good mentors, then you're really asking for trouble. Now, David Gianetto is the author of three books, including the newly released Big Social Mobile, How Digital Initiatives Can Reshape the Enterprise and Drive Business Results. He's been named a thought leader by the American Management Association, Business Finance Magazine and Consumer Goods Technology Magazine. He also writes for the AMA and the Huffington Post and as Senior VP of Salient Management Company helps some of today's leading brands coordinate complex initiatives, technology and information in order to create tangible results. Big data is interesting. We we hear about it all the time and um, I must confess I'm involved with a company that's um, launching throughout... um, uh, South America and, and through Asia that is capturing a huge amount of big data, submitting it through all sorts of algorithms and uh, the things you can do with it, particularly taking into account things like Apple Pay and whatever and um, iBeacons. You know, it's amazing. You can you can identify who's buying what, where, what they've bought and and predict what they're going to buy. It's it's really quite extraordinary. And cities are using big data to plot where bus routes should go, where cab ranks should be situated, and a whole range of various things. So um, it's a very timely interview. David, welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Thanks, Bob. Thanks for having me. It's great to be with you. Big data and... Um, well, they all go together, don't they? The big data, the analytics, um, and um, things like Apple Pay and um, um, iBeacons and things, they, they, they all link together to be able to provide corporations with information and targeting like they've never, ever been able to do before. Yeah, absolutely. It's important to understand the way things work today. At the foundation, it's, it's really a foundation built on data, yeah. And, and data comes from many sources, right? Uh, we have the Internet of Things, whether it's a smart light bulb or a smart car. We have social media. We have mobile technology. And all those things are generating data that tells us about different things. Yeah. But, but at, at the core of them, the commonality is 
once we turn that into information, we make it valuable by converting it to information, it tells us about the way consumers behave, who they interact with, what they believe in, even what their emotional state is sometimes. Sure. And that's, that's the data that's getting all the buzz these days, big data. Uh, but we have to remember that big data tells us about consumer behavior. What's missing is how consumer data, how consumer behavior is influencing corporate performance whether right. we're an entrepreneur or a small business or, or a large corporation, that's really the question. Or can we use big data to improve the profit equation for our company? And that's where the market is finally getting to. They're finally asking this question of how do we create tangible results, improved revenue and profit, reduced expense, uh, or in, improvement in those things that directly drive that, whether it's uh, better conversion rates or higher market basket or something right. like that. So, now, I, can, I can see a lot of people out there that um, are listening to this show saying yeah but I'm only a fairly small enterprise and big data sounds like you know you need to be somebody giant to be able to use it Mm -hmm. how how true is that well it's it's partially true it depends on your perspective there's really two things that big data allows an organization to do one is that allows you to improve your directional accuracy creating better products that are going to resonate better with consumers, adding new features or services on that are going to resonate or improve the the amount of money somebody's willing to pay for them. Uh, So it's really directional or strategic in nature. It it points you in the right direction much more accurately. But it also tells you about individual consumer behavior so that you can identify one person, you can understand them, you can create a very highly personalized message that appeals to them, and therefore – more likely, be more likely to convert them to a customer or a repeat customer or a higher value customer or increase customer lifetime value. So there are two equations when we talk about uh, big data. For a very small organization, you just have to use it a little bit differently. For example, the, the philosophy of finding individual customers via big data uh, is really changed from traditional approaches. So we find our one perfect customer using right. the data. And then we go get other customers like them. And that's much more efficient and effective than is the traditional approach of identifying a segment and throwing, uh, you know, just throwing mass advertising at it in hopes that you gain some traction. So a small business can do that too. They can use even the free analytics packages that come with all the social platforms today to understand their customer base, what their behaviors are, and then use that insight to uncover new sub-segments they can go after or change their pitch a little bit or their offerings to be more on point to re- resonates with that person. Okay, so I'm a small, I'm a small business and uh, I've got 20 to 100 staff, say, for example. So I'm that, that size business. Um, and I'm sitting there going, yeah, I keep hearing about big data all the time, everywhere I turn. But where do I start? What the hell do I do first? I'm sitting at my desk. I know nothing about where to go. What do I do? How do I get into this area? Right. That's that's kind of one of the flawed thinking patterns that people get into that, um, that I really uncovered through the research and the work with the different companies that I do in writing Big Social Mobile is that you can't start with this question of big data. You really that's really putting the car before the horse. Right. Big data is generated based upon either social media or mobile technology. It, it might also be generated off of smart light bulbs, smart door handles, all these other things that are the Internet of Things. 
but really most times big data means generated by social or mobile technology. That's really where you have to start because data, remember, data is the result of other things that happened. It is merely an output of some other interaction. And the data that you get will be valuable based on the, the value of that interaction. So one of the examples I use that, that somewhat brings it home is we think of social media, which generates big data, yeah. as kind of the space of a social media analyst. You know, stereotypically, they just came out of college. They're very young. They don't know much about business. We think that they handle social media. But, mm -hmm. but let's, let's break that paradigm. Let's talk about the most stereotypically non-social person in the company, buried in the basement, an engineer doing R&D. How could they benefit from Or an media? accountant. Or an accountant. <laughs> so how could they benefit from social media and big data? They can if you don't approach it in the traditional way. So imagine using that social media analyst as a conduit. They connect the consumer directly to this expert deep down in the bowels of the organization. Right. And this conduit says, what information would you like to have from our customers about what, what new features and functions they might value, what new services and products they might value. And that engineer would go, my God, if I really could get that information, it would be so powerful. I'd really know what I was, I'd really have some, some information to base my, my change to design changes on. And that's very hard to get through traditional methods, right? You've got to do study groups, you've got to do surveys, Absolutely. all this stuff that's highly yeah. unreliable. But yep. social media can connect this expert directly to your most passionate and most educated consumers. And, and we don't think of that as an application of big data, right? All that we're going to do is we're going to create an appropriate question on any social platform, and people are going to respond to it. Yeah. But they're going to respond in narrative form, right? We can't analyze narrative form. We can. We can get sentiment, engagement, things like that, but nothing deep. So we're then going to turn around. We're going to take all this narrative string, that this printout of what people responded on Facebook or Twitter, whatever it was, and we're going to show it to this R&D person. He's going to read, do something ancient, read it. Right. And by reading the comments, he's going to gather more information, honest insight, than he ever could have gotten by analyzing, you know, reams of survey responses. And what that will allow him to do is formulate better questions that can then be pushed out to the community, more specific, getting better responses. And we don't think of that as big data in action. Sure. But it really is in a, in a very tangible way for a small business. We're simply using the platforms and the data they generate in, a, in an entirely different way, connecting experts to consumers who have information that that company needs and would find very valuable. Of course, if you're a, um, a big company, like the company I'm involved with, um, every everybody puts all their information out there on Facebook, on Twitter, on um, Pinterest, on everywhere. They put who they are, where they are, what they like, how many kids in the family, where their kids go to school, what their names are, where they where they go for holidays, what their favourite restaurants are. Here's a photo of me with my pets, and what we're doing is scooping up all of that information. And then running it through um, algorithms and however they mm -hmm. do it, and we can come up with a packet for almost everybody. We can say um, David Giannetto is 37 years old and he's got two kids and they both go to high school and their names Mary and John and they, he likes Thai food and this is where he lives and this is where he goes on holidays and we know absolutely everything about you mm -hmm. just simply by scooping up what you're putting out there. Um, that's Strictly for the big guys, isn't it? 
Well, it is. And, and where I really fit into things for, for big companies is then helping them use that information to create, you know, what I'm calling the tangible results, right. bottom line results, improved revenue, improved profitability. Because the question isn't, what can we gather today? We can gather everything. We can even derive somebody's uh, hierarchy of values, their yep. emotional state. Yep. We can target them based on their, their psychology. We can associate the brands with things that they are emotionally connected to to earn goodwill. There are a tremendous number of techniques that we can use based on the data we collect. Right. But the trick is to make sure that you're using it in a way that fits in with what is the core value proposition of your organization. Make sure it's reinforcing what is valuable about you and what makes customers like you and continue to, to be loyal to you and to continue to purchase, as opposed to fragmenting your organization into different parts because you have, you have one personality going out via social media, you have other broken interactions through mobile, you have your traditional salespeople, you have branding and marketing. Sure. I believe they should all be brought together and, and at the center of them all is how do you generate, use data, transitioned into information to, to be effective. I couldn't agree with you more. So what are the biggest obstacles that are facing traditional um, enterprises that are looking to make big data an ingrained part of their business strategy? What are those obstacles? Yeah, it's, it's really at the highest level all about perspective and a lack of understanding. I really am not a big fan of the word big data or the term big data because I, I think it's really confused people. If, uh, if they get under the covers and they understand what big data really is, what it tells them about consumers, and, and, and in the book I break it down into five different things that will tell you about consumers from their demographics, their behavior, their social patterning, and things like that. So I, I kind of try to make it real to say, if you're talking about collecting data from Facebook via social media, right. this is what it will show you. And um, I had a great partner for the book, book called Janrain, which is a company that created Social Login. And they have right. a great website, which I show in the book, because it makes it so clear. This is what you get from Facebook. This is what you get from Twitter. This is what you get from Instagram. And it makes it real enough for people so that an expert in big data or social media, mobile technology, because I'm connecting them all together, um, right. because they're really part of one bigger movement that companies have to be aware of and adapt to holistically, and as opposed to in a very segregated manner to be effectively. That's so. That. That's difficult, isn't it? Because what's, what seems to happen automatically with companies, no matter how hard you try, companies seem to develop silos. Um, I think it's just, you know, it's human nature and you can tell them as often as you like, but everybody builds their own little bit of turf and tries to protect it. Um, so it's not that easy, is it, to sort of integrate all this across, um, across various parts of a, of a, of a corporation? No, and, and I'm really a management consultant. That's where I, that's the background I come from. I specialize right. in business intelligence and analytics, but really um, uh, I'm working much more at the change level. How do you get the organization to behave differently in the future than in the past using information as a foundation? And, and that's a very common phenomenon. As they grow, they have to deal with more complexity, so they hire experts. Yeah. And because they're experts, they allow them to operate in a silo and typically that expert is disconnected from, from the core business people, right? The sales and operations people that interact yeah, with customers. Absolutely. Social media ten years ago and then mobile and now big data are different, fundamentally different, causing such problems because people within especially the social media space are closer to your customers than any other person in the organization now. Yes. They, they interact with your far more than your salespeople. So yeah. you've created this expert 
you've allowed them to operate alone, and it's really having a big impact on, on your presence in the market. And you can't allow that to happen. That's why you have to integrate it back in, uh, connect that expert with the traditional business function and people who are really good at converting consumers to customers, and that will reinforce what you're doing. And, and that's, that's the approach I try to help organizations take. Now, let me ask you a question that's just a little bit off the track. Um, I'm one of those people who believes that um, legacy industries, legacy businesses, can't, because of their sheer structure um, and attitude, can't become sort of the e-commerce companies that they need to be to be successful today. Irrespective of what you do, you need to be an e-commerce company. Um, and, and, and I just don't believe that legacy companies can do it. You know, you see a lot of legacy companies tacking a website on and they might have an app and they think that makes them a um, an e-commerce company. It doesn't. It makes them an old, tired legacy company with some <laughs> stuff tacked on. Do you agree with that? I don't know that. I, I don't know that I can agree with it in broad sweeping strokes like that. Uh, it would be, you know, it is a topic in and of itself. We could talk all sure. day. It would be a great discussion over drinks. Uh, but I talking. believe, yeah, <laughs> I don't think companies have a choice but to use social media, mobile technology, and big data today in order to compete. If, if you if if you take the time and you read the future I've painted of what is coming at us and how critical these things are to the success of an organization, I, I think we would all agree you have to use these things effectively to compete. But therein is Absolutely. the rub. I really don't believe that you can be successful trying to reinvent yourself as highly social, highly mobile, big data friendly. That's That's not what we're seeing as the most effective way to do this. Successful companies using these initiatives, legacy or non-legacy, are companies that look at their business model and they say, we have this weakness. How can social or mobile or big data help us overcome this weakness in our business model? And then mobile and social, they simply become additional channels. Big data becomes another source of information, connect it and integrate it with traditional enterprise data to tell a bigger picture picture of what's going on, you have to use them in a way to reinforce your organization and its value proposition, not fragment it and segment it. So why is it Why is it that the Amazons, the Ubers, the Airbnbs, the Netflix, the, there's a whole lot of them that have come in and disrupted traditional um, legacy companies and murdered them? You know, there's not one, there's not one traditional legacy company in any field that's been disrupted that has been been successful not one it's the new totally data driven social media driven companies that have just wiped the floor with everybody else i i, I don't know if i would say none of them have so what's amazon is a company that i talk about a lot in the book and i've done a lot of work and research on and I think people have the wrong impression of Amazon. They believe it is an e-commerce company. I am here to tell you, Amazon is very much a physical company that exists in the real world. It has warehouses in nearly every state in the country. It has bigger operations than almost any other com company in the country. They are just as physical as almost every other company that we think of perhaps as legacy. We, They created e-commerce, but let's take a step back and, and look at what they did. What they did really wasn't 
revolutionary. It really wasn't in the beginning. They identified a problem that had long existed in the book publishing and selling industry. And there's too many books. The catalog is too big from different publishers to sell them all in one physical location. Yep. They used new technology, a brand new approach using new technology, to overcome that, that problem that had existed for decades. And they, but they did it in exactly the same way as the physical bookstore buying process. Yeah. For example, buying a book is, a, is a, an interactive process, even though people don't think of it as that. It's a very social experience. That's why you have reviews, because they found that a person isolated on a website didn't have the same richness of experience unless they had other people to, to understand whether this, this particular book was good or not. And it wasn't even in their hand. Yeah. So what they, they did is evolved, and that's what I talked about. Evolve your business to its next better form. Don't try to revolutionize yourself. I would argue that they're a they're a totally disruptive e-commerce business that just happens to have warehouses. I don't think having a, having warehouses makes you traditional in any way, shape, or form. However, um, what um, how do you um, how does mobile fit into this picture? Um, how's mobile technology changing the game for sort of traditional enterprises? I, I think initially what it did is exactly what you said. They threw an app, they threw an app out there, a mobile app. They, they thought they could gain some interest and most companies fell flat on their face. Uh, and that's been the mistake. They didn't, they didn't take a step back and say, what is mobile and how do we use it to our best advantage? So take what I think of as, as a legacy company, Starbucks. Starbucks has used mobile in a very non-traditional way now. They created the most effective mobile wallet application in the world. Nobody yep. can even touch them. Yep. They are in our class alone. So we think of them as having a very powerful mobile application. But I look at them as, as a legacy company who used mobile in a way that people don't even recognize. What Starbucks did is they looked at what is the problem with our operation. And the problem with Starbucks is they have such high volume through their stores that the purchasing process itself, getting people through the line and getting them their drink, which is complex because there's over eighty, there's over eighty-seven thousand drink combinations when you go yeah. to Starbucks. It's yeah. more complicated than we think. And it's lousy but, coffee anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, like it, like it or not, who knows? They certainly have the market. They certainly sell a lot of it. Yep. Right. So what they did is create a mobile app to make that operation more efficient because the longest amount of time you spend in line is the actual transaction itself, the, the financial transaction. A yep. mobile app for well over 20% of people, and it's growing, the number of users, it reduces the most time-consuming part of the transaction to under 10 seconds. Right? right. So they use mobile to make the, the most complicated and time-consuming part of their physical process more efficient. As a byproduct, they also happen to have built the most widely used mobile wallet app in the world. But it started with an understanding of what is their business model and the things that drive it and don't drive it. And, and of course, they've done amazing things with it from there. It also builds an amazing database that's mm -hmm. critical to marketing right. anything these days. So right. is it, it, it does. Is, is it mobile or social that's driving personalization? Uh, you know, the, the interesting thing about mobile is kind of a follow-on to what we are just talking about uh, that bridges into that question is... Um, the, the, the amazing thing about mobile is that when social came upon, when social came to light maybe 10, 11 years ago, it took consumers out of 
the physical world and put them very much in the digital world. Yeah. And they and they interacted with companies across this digital landscape. So companies had to build infrastructure and process to interact with them over there. And that really separated consumers. In the in the physical world they could interact via traditional methods. But what they were doing digitally was like a completely different person, even if it was the same actual person. So now we had consumers in the physical world and in the digital world. They were interacting with companies, and but they weren't consistent. Omnichannel arose to kind of beat that back down, but it's it's been fairly ineffective. I talk about it in the sense of an omni experience because the physical and digital have to be merged so that you see what the consumer is doing, um, no matter what medium you're interacting with them through. Sure. Mobile is helping because what mobile did is it put the people back in the physical world because social media is is almost always delivered via mobile devices now. Status updates, picture uploads are occurring much more mobile than they are on native desktops or laptops, things like that. Now the mobile device is with the consumer in the real world. So now we know where they are all the time. And from a data perspective, that's awesome because we can now see where they're at, what's influencing them, what's around them. We can target them in the physical world. And mobile is great for companies because it, it is ever-present with the consumer. It, it is a data collection device like no other. Yes. And it allows you to interact with them at the moment of impact because it's really about touching the right person with the right information. That's personalization, but at the right time. Sure. Absolutely. So uh, um, what sort of technology should marketers be looking at to help them make um, to get all this customer data and make it operational and actionable I mean, heck, well, it's alright to have it but how do you then use it yeah there's two pieces of this puzzle um, you know big data as, as we've been talking about uh, it, it tells you a lot about the consumer but, but don't ever forget that the weakness of big data is that it does not tell you the financial impact of the consumer's behavior, whether it's purchasing, non-purchasing, or anything. It doesn't tell you real value. The measure of real value occurs in traditional enterprise information. And and I can't believe I have to say traditional information within the enterprise, and it's only 2015. I'm talking (laughs) about stuff that comes out of uh, your your route accounting system, your GL, your ERP, your CRM. That tells you value because you you can calculate the profit equation. Right. So that therein lies the answer to what what technology is needed. You need technology on both sides of that house. So, for example, the company I mentioned, Janrin, what they do is allow you to collect and understand individual consumers on a highly detailed level, the, the ways we were talking about. Yes. That information is more valuable when you then turn around and connect it to an enterprise technology that allows you to understand the profit equation. For example, as you mentioned during the introduction, I work at Salient Management Company. We are on the business intelligence and analytics side of the house. So we are connecting that consumer profile data over to the customer profile data so that it's synonymous. We understand which consumers are becoming prospects, which are becoming customers, and the end result and the value of that customer. So now we're seeing something much more powerful. We're seeing not only which, what is the profile of a person via big data that is most likely to become a customer, we're able to measure what's the highest value customer we're producing. That is really the customer that, that I want to go and to. And that's critical of. information. Yep. Yeah, we've kind of forgotten that because the hype about big data 
is getting us all over into the marketing world, personalization. And I'm kind of raising my hand over here saying, look, yeah, it is awesome. I love it. And I, and I love that type of work. And, and, and that's where you need to be focusing. But don't forget, that is nothing if you don't understand the impact on, on the profit equation. So every, every company that's um, going into big data or related areas should have themselves a salient management to help them. <laughs> um, no, I'm being serious for a minute. You know, they mm-hmm. should to help them integrate the information that they get from big data with the um, pragmatic financial um, performance. Yeah, well, financial performance is one thing. You know, at Salient, we provide management information, right, which right. is the translation of operational effectiveness and efficiency into financial uh, results, some of which do correspond with the, the formal financial structure of, of the way you report information formally. But we're really talking about uh, how do companies, how do decision makers within the company use information to make more profitable decisions, right? That's That's the buzz phrase of, Right. what we do. Understanding consumer behavior before, during, and after the point of purchase just allows you to have better insight into, well, who really is my most valuable consumer? Because there's a lot of expense over on the social, mobile, and big data side of the house. And, yeah. and in fact, it's only expense, right? It's not generating revenue unless no. you attach sure. it back to your traditional sales and operations yep. processes. So okay. you do need Sorry. that yep. to operate. Okay, so everybody everybody needs themselves a salient. Okay, fair enough. So, quick last question: What's really at stake if if companies don't figure out how to become um, big social mobile? Yeah, it, you know, everyone, a lot of the folks I talk to, they want to take that way back and see. Look, and, and this is what I try to to say to make it a little bit more urgent to them. You know, we're talking about companies here creating a very intimate relationship with a consumer or a prospect, and, and that's going to drive their decision-making over the long term. Yep. This is what the person's going to base their wallet purchases on. So in your industry that you're in, the first company that does that has such a first-mover advantage that you might never be able to recover. And that doesn't need to be the biggest, most powerful company, the one with the biggest economies of scale. It's just the smartest company that understands how to leverage this new relationship, you know, built via social and mobile that comes out through big data with consumers and then takes advantage of it to give those consumers what they want. They're going to win. You're not going to be able to compete with them from that moment forward. Okay, so great. you really can't afford to wait. David Giannetto is the author of a newly released book, Big Social Mobile, How Digital Initiatives Can Reshape the Enterprise and Drive Business Results. It's a great book. I'm looking forward to getting a copy because it's critical to every business that's um, that's out there today that wants to be successful. So, David, thanks very much for being on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show and Voice America Business. Now, if you'd like to know more about David, go to bigsocialmobile.com. That's BigSocialMobile.com. You're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Network, and I'll be back with you after this short break. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. 
You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking, absolutely no bullshit business radio show. Coming to you from my hometown of Los Angeles. The overwhelming concern about the internet is the lack of privacy. The government can see your naked pictures, your private chats, pretty much anything else you put online. And then there are millions of amateurs out there that are hacking all the time, and uh, they're all trying to steal from you. So what are you doing to protect yourselves? Odds are that if you're like the overwhelming majority of us, you're not doing much. Even though Americans are aware of government spying and privacy risks and um, just general hackers, 54% of people think that it's difficult to find ways to protect their privacy online. But being safer online is easy. Let me tell you about a few simple ways to keep your personal information to yourself without doing much. It shouldn't take more than 15 minutes to improve your internet privacy and the peace of mind that you get from feeling secure is invaluable. And the first thing you should do is make sure you keep up with all of the um, updates that you get sent. You know, as you know, um, the Microsofts, everybody drop off um, protecting you after a while. So make sure you keep up with, um, with all the updates. When you use a search engine like Google, it saves your searches and can give that information away. Now, if a search engine doesn't keep track of your searches, it can't give it away. I mean, that's pretty simple. Duck, duck, go. D-U-C-K, D-U-C-K, G-O. It's a search engine that does not collect any information on you or your searches. So you can use DuckDuckGo's website instead of Google, or you can download an extension if you still want to search using your address bar. Internet browsers like Chrome, Safari, Firefox, they all track your cookies, IP address, and more. To truly be secure, you should use a special secure browser called Tor, T-O-R. And using a series of secure servers, Tor lets you go online and communicate privately without being censored and without being watched. Tor looks like just any other browser, but it protects your online anonymity. Now, I realize that it's an absolute pain in the ass, but you should use a different password for every account that you have online. And in my case, that's dozens upon dozens upon dozens. And memorizing them can be an absolute disaster. I can't remember one, far less 101. It's also a really bad idea to keep a written list, list of passwords. It's, you know, somebody could nick it. An easy fix is a password managing app which keeps all your passwords in one place so you don't have to remember them and then you can start using all the symbols and all those things which are almost impossible to remember. But there's a stack of different options to pick from here. One's called Password Box, which is free. You can get Password Box as a mobile app, a desktop app or both. You just make an account. With that account, you create a master password which you need to use to access all your other passwords. Um, 
make sure your master password is a really strong one. And for God's sake, don't lose it. Because if you happen to lose the master password, you have just lost everything. <laughs> I could just imagine. I'd give up. I think I'd, I'd just throw in the towel. Now, once you've created a master password, you can start adding your accounts by signing in through Password Box. Then when you sign in, you'll be prompted to let Password Box fill in the password for you. And if you want to make sure your passwords are more secure, you can let Password Box create new ones for you. And it'll, it'll just make new ones for you a few times a year. So making new passwords much, much, much easier with Password Box. It just generates them for you instead of having to come up with your own, which is, as I said, a pain in the ass. Now, staying on top of privacy is an ongoing process, but these two tools will help you get started. Now, 3D printers can do all sorts of shit, can't they? And we were just talking about the medical applications. There's some phenomenal stuff. But my favourite, particularly at 7 a.m. in the morning, is Pancake Bot. It's the world first pancake 3D printer. You can print out pancakes in any design that you can imagine. It comes with user-friendly software that allows you to design your own pancake. Uh, the Pancake Bot Kickstarter campaigns raised over $320,000 which is 270000 more than they intended to raise. And you can get your own pancake bot early by contributing $179 to the Kickstarter campaign. The printer's going on sale for $299 on its release. Sounds great. Now, this is a ripper. I've got to do it quickly. Earlier in the program, we were talking about the technological gains in medicine. In a procedure that would be nothing short of revolutionary, a 30-year-old man has volunteered to be the first to have his head transplanted onto another human body. The man has a rare muscle condition called Wernig-Hoffman disorder, which causes your muscles to waste away and is no known cure. He believes the operation is an excellent opportunity for him, but will also create a scientific basis for future generations, no matter what the outcome of the actual surgery is. The operation could last up to 36 hours and cost $11 million. The entire procedure will require the assistance of around 150 doctors. His new body will be taken from a brain-dead but otherwise healthy donor, his brain will be cooled down to between 50 and 60 degrees Fahrenheit to prolong the time brain cells can survive. The spinal cord will be cut with a special scalpel and the head will be reconnected to the body and the spinal cord with a special biological glue. He will then spend four or five weeks in a coma. Wow. Now, if you're a regular listener of the show and are benefiting from the advice that my guests and I give you each week, please tell your friends to listen. Go to my website at bobpritchard.com and subscribe to my monthly newsletter. Send in your questions, email me at bob at bobpritchard.com and follow me on Twitter, Facebook and become a contact of mine on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening to the Bob Pritchard No Bullshit Business Radio Show for Entrepreneurs and remember, it is much easier to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. This is Bob Pritchard and I hope that you have a fantastic week. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.
business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking, absolutely no bullshit business radio show. Coming to you from my hometown of Los Angeles. The overwhelming concern about the internet is the lack of privacy. The government can see your naked pictures, your private chats, pretty much anything else you put online. And then there are millions of amateurs out there that are hacking all the time, and uh, they're all trying to steal from you. So what are you doing to protect yourselves? Odds are that if you're like the overwhelming majority of us, you're not doing much. Even though Americans are aware of government spying and privacy risks and Um, just general hackers, 54% of people think that it's difficult to find ways to protect their privacy online. But being safer online is easy. Let me tell you about a few simple ways to keep your personal information to yourself without doing much. It shouldn't take more than 15 minutes to improve your internet privacy and the peace of mind that you get from feeling secure is invaluable. And the first thing you should do is make sure you keep up with all of the um, updates that you get sent. You know, as you know, um, the Microsofts, everybody drop off um, protecting you after a while. So make sure you keep up with, um, with all the updates. When you use a search engine like Google... It saves your searches and can give that information away. Now, if a search engine doesn't keep track of your searches, it can't give it away. I mean, that's pretty simple. Duck, duck, go. D-U-C-K, D-U-C-K, G-O. It's a search engine that does not collect any information on you or your searches. So you can use duck, duck, go's website instead of Google, or you can download an extension if you still want to search using your address bar. Internet browsers like Chrome, Safari, Firefox, they all track your cookies, IP address, and more. To truly be secure, you should use a special secure browser called Tor, T-O-R. And using a series of secure servers, Tor lets you go online and communicate privately without being censored, and without being watched. Tor looks like just any other browser, but it protects your online anonymity. Now, I realize that it's an absolute pain in the ass, but you should use a different password for every account that you have online. And in my case, that's dozens upon dozens upon dozens. And memorizing them can be an absolute disaster. I can't remember one, far less 101. It's also a really bad idea to keep a written list list of passwords since, you know, somebody could nick it. An easy fix is a password managing app which keeps all your passwords in one place so you don't have to remember them and then you can start using all the symbols and all those things which are almost impossible to remember. But there's a stack of different options to pick from here. One's called 
Password Box, which is free. You can get Password Box as a mobile app, a desktop app, or both. You just make an account. With that account, you create a master password, which you need to use to access all your other passwords. Um, Make sure your master password is a really strong one. And for God's sake, don't lose it. Because if you happen to lose the master password, you have just lost everything. (laughs) I could just imagine. I'd give up. I think I'd I'd just throw in the towel. Now, once you've created a master password, you can start adding your accounts by signing in through Password Box. Then when you sign in, you'll be prompted to let Password Box fill in the password for you. And if you want to make sure your passwords are more secure, you can let Password Box create new ones for you. And it'll, it'll just make new ones for you a few times a year. So... Making new passwords much, much, much easier with Password Box. It just generates them for you instead of having to come up with your own, which is, as I said, a pain in the ass. Now, staying on top of privacy is an ongoing process, but these tools will help you get started. Now, 3D printers can do all sorts of shit, can't they? And we were just talking about the medical applications. There's some phenomenal stuff. But my favourite, particularly at 7 a.m. in the morning, is pancake. Bot. It's the world first pancake 3D printer. You can print out pancakes in any design that you can imagine. It comes with user-friendly software that allows you to design your own pancake. Uh, the Pancake Bot Kickstarter campaigns raised over $320,000, which is $270,000 more than they intended to raise. And you can get your own Pancake bot early by contributing $179 to the Kickstarter campaign. The printer's going on sale for $299 on its release. Sounds great. Now, this is a ripper. I've got to do it quickly. Earlier in the program, we were talking about the technological gains in medicine. In a procedure that would be nothing short of revolutionary, a 30-year-old man has volunteered to be the first to have his head transplanted onto another human body. The man has a rare muscle condition called Wernig-Hoffman disorder, which causes your muscles to waste away and is no known cure. He believes the operation is an excellent opportunity for him, but will also create a scientific basis for future generations, no matter what the outcome of the actual surgery is. The operation could last up to 36 hours and cost $11 million dollars. The entire procedure will require the assistance of around 150 doctors. His new body will be taken from a brain-dead but otherwise healthy donor. His brain will be cooled down to between 50 and 60 degrees Fahrenheit to prolong the time brain cells can survive. The spinal cord will be cut with a special scalpel and the head will be reconnected to the body and the spinal cord with a special biological glue. He will then spend four or five weeks in a coma. Wow. Now, if you're a regular listener to the show and are benefiting from the advice that my guests and I give you each week, please tell your friends to listen. Go to my website at bobpritchard.com and subscribe to my monthly newsletter. Send in your questions, email me at bob at bobpritchard.com and follow me on Twitter, Facebook and become a contact of mine on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening to the Bob Pritchard No Bullshit Business Radio Show for Entrepreneurs and remember... It is much easier to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. This is Bob Pritchard, and I hope that you have a fantastic week. 
You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.